Hello and welcome to the Compassionate Leadership Interview. I'm Chris Whitehead and our guest today is Edmund Cross, trainer and facilitator, specialist in creating developmental spaces for individuals and teams. Welcome, Edmund. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You went to school in Belfast in the 70s and are a former nurse. Would you like to tell us a little more about your career? Um, Yes, I... I think my career has been shaped by a series of serendipitous events. I left Ireland in 1979 and started one university, but it wasn't right. It didn't feel right. So I ended up uh, going to another one. I ended up at the University of Sussex. And as soon as I got there, I kind of, I, I, I knew it was the right place. And over the, over my time there, I studied French. And over my time there, I think I learned to think differently. I learned to make connections and see systems. And it was just, it was just, it fitted my way of uh, seeing the world and or it gave me a way to see the world. And when I left Sussex, I wasn't really equipped to do anything much except think and, and talk a bit of French. I ended up in Sheffield where I trained to be a nurse. I trained to be a general nurse and nursing was great. It taught me, it taught me about the practicality of intervening in people's lives at times of great difficulty, sometimes times of great mundanity at other times. And it gave me insight into being in difficult, uncertain spaces with with people. And I really, um, I enjoyed my time nursing. I developed a lot and uh, a real formative experience for me. Partly as a result of a back injury, partly as a result of an opportunity which presented itself, I took a sideways move into working in primary care on sexual health development with primary health care teams, so teams of GPs and their staff. And that got me into the business of sitting down with people talking about stuff that they'd rather not be talking about. And so I worked at that for a couple of, uh, for, for a few years. Then I worked in various different parts of the health authority as it was at the time and was moved around and reorganized and eventually ended up in a job from which I was actually it was part of the University of Sheffield um, as part of the medical school. But I was made redundant with the, the, the rest of the team that I was in at the time. And again, that was very formative because I, it, it really gave me insight into that the shock of uncertainty of, of um, redundancy. And since then, I've been working on my own independently and I had to learn how to do that I had to learn how not to be a part of an organization and not to be part of a hierarchy and that was quite difficult for the first couple of years I found that very challenging but I've got used to it and I'm now quite comfortable in that space so that kind of brings us up to present day really. When we met before this interview the three things that stood out for me in our discussion were conflict, personal awareness and not knowing I wonder if we can take these in turn. You have a reputation for being able to sit with people while they resolve conflict. Why do you think that is? I think that's because of a combination of skills that I've picked up along the way. Nursing taught me about the importance of significant conversations at various points in people's lives and 
it taught me about sticking with people when someone tells you something important. So that was, that was one thing. Uh, another thing that I've done is I've done training courses that introduced me to rank and power and gave me the tools to uh, stick with people when they're, when they're doing the, when they're talking about difficult stuff and also work in the moment. So work with things when they arise and not to shy away from things, I think. And that took some doing, I think, for me, because for um, when I first started facilitating, I found it nerve-wracking, I found it difficult, but I also found it tremendously exciting. And I realized that if you walk towards conflict, then something different happens than if you try to skirt around it or pretend it isn't there or go away from it. So I think it's, I think it's a combination of those things that I've learned along the way, really. I remember you saying to me, power underlies everything and we need to talk about it. Why do you say that? Because I don't think it's self-evident. Well, I think all our relationships have an element of power in them. And as Julie Diamond uh, says, we experience power from, from very, very early on um, in our families, in our relationships. And we feel it and we learn how to navigate it and sometimes that's in a good way sometimes it's in a difficult way but we experience that very early on but we don't talk about it we just know that there's this thing called power around and we become it becomes invisible to us and yet it shapes everything and i think when we talk about talking about it is immensely scary but when we do start to talk about it i think it unlocks possibilities so when we join a profession or a, or a workplace, it's all around us. We experience it in ourselves about how we're feeling in the job. It's, we experience it in the team and we, we can experience it in the, in, the, in the system. And these experiences are often quite overlapping and different. But again, we don't talk about that very much, I don't think. When we do talk about it, when I go into teams and we kind of want to talk about their business, if we don't talk about power, then then we're missing. It, it's, it's, it's missing. And when we do talk about it, something different happens. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's something that we know and, and, and that, we, that we need to talk about, but we don't, we don't have the practice. And just how do you go about starting the conversation about power? Again, I think it's through a combination of the skills that I've learned and then trying stuff out, trying it out sometimes when it's planned and sometimes trying things when it's not planned, when it's... Uh, when things arise in the moment and you, ha you you have a choice to either stick with it or skirt around it or or leave it and um i suppose i'm privileged enough to be asked in to work with teams and individuals and when we do put power on the agenda and i, I, I think i've learned how to put it on the agenda and, and introduce it gradually i think when we do that and we invite people to talk about it, then they're talk they talk they're talking about something that they know they're talking about something that they've experienced and it can often make things easier. So uh, by giving people the tools to talk about it and the space to talk about it, I think it gets easier. So as a Gestalt coach myself, I would agree that personal awareness is crucial. Very little change is possible until people are in touch with their thoughts, emotions and behaviour right now. How do you go about facilitating that? It's a process of proper contracting, so knowing why you're there um, and uh, knowing 
what your commission is, what you're inviting people to do, what they're expecting of you. So that 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 can that's the, you know that's the fundamental a fundamental start. So agreeing what what you're there for and stepping gradually into into the possibilities that arise from starting a conversation. So again, I come back to a way of working that I've uh, that I use more and more over the past five six years, maybe that I introduce a combination of models and frameworks. And I think if, that if you give people models and frameworks, frameworks such as the Johari window or the window of tolerance, those kind of frameworks, I think when you introduce people to those, especially a team, if you introduce a team to those models and help them to work with them and learn them, and then, use, and then import, the important thing is to use them as you learn them and to use them with, the, the business of the group as it arises in the moment and apply them. And then you can gradually get people to trust the process and to trust that trusting their own thoughts and emotions and trusting talking about their own thoughts, thoughts and emotions can be developmental rather than um, threatening and destructive. You're a big fan of not knowing, being comfortable with uncertainty. Why do you think that's important? I think it's important because... There's a lot in, in my life that I don't that I don't know, and when I I'm open to possibilities and open to various possibilities, then there are more solutions that appear, if you like. And the more I work with 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 teams and groups, when they're grappling with problems, either personal or uh, personal stroke professional at team level or at system level, they're grappling with grappling with difficulties which are multifaceted, uh, wicked problems. And th- th- if I if if I was to go in and say I've got the answer for you here, then they would it pro- most likely would be the wrong answer. So it's important, I think, to think. Well, I don't know what the answer here is, but let's explore this in a space, um, and let's explore it with the mindset that there might be a there might be an answer here, or there might be more than one answer. Um, there are certainly many ways of di- looking at this problem or issue or this experience. So let's breathe some oxygen into it and 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 open it up, and then see if we see if we um, move forward. And one of the frameworks that I think is immensely helpful here is. David Snowden, um, his Kenevan framework, um, which is a quadrant, um, which on the one side has certainty, the certainty of simple and complicated problems. And on the uncertain side, there is the, uh, the uncertainty of chaos and the uncertainty of complexity. And I think more and more, the world that we live in invites us to work with complexity. And we just don't know what's coming up. And all we've got to do is give it our best shot and test the waters as we go forward. Um, yeah, I've learned that in my own life. And uh, and I think that's true for a lot of teams and organisations as well. You have a daughter who has a medical condition. Can I ask how that has affected and informed how you think? My daughter's illness was not what we expected. We weren't expecting to have a... Um, a child with a disability and I think before the birth of our second child I had certainly a a trajectory in my mind of what um, what the future held and it did that didn't happen it just didn't happen and for a long time we didn't have a diagnosis and for a long time we were dealing with different crises as they arose and 
again, it contributed to the importance of not knowing. I don't know what the answer is here. I don't know what the future holds. I We have to stick with the present and give it our best shot, really. So I think that's um, that's been a massive uh, learning about life for me. What is your proudest achievement in your career? This goes back to goes back to nursing, and I remember a morning which was going along swimmingly, and somebody was admitted from the emergency department because I think we were on take, and they were admitted to the ward, and the guy was very ill, and he needed some uh, exploratory surgery, and he I think he knew that he wasn't. He hadn't long to live. And we, we, it came to the bit where he had to sign his consent form. And he it told me that he, 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 he didn't want to go anywhere until he'd made his will. And he hadn't got a will. And it really gave me a big problem because I hadn't the first clue about what, what, what to do about this. And it, it was one of those wards where there were there was four people in the bay and... Because the, because of the way the ward is, they, uh, people draw curtains around and think they're soundproof, but actually they're not. And so some people had heard a conversation and then one guy pipes up from the other uh, bed says, I know where that guy lives. I know there's a solicitor. Uh, I know the name of the solicitor. And we got in touch with the solicitor. I, got, I rang a solicitor and said, look, this is a situation. And within an hour, the solicitor was on their way to with their wherewithal to make a will. Meanwhile, the, the operating department were on the phone to me, the anaesthetist, the operating, but where is this guy? We need this guy down. He's coming. We need to, we've got a slot for him now. Get him down. I said, he's not coming until he's made his will. And I said, get him down now. We can, you know, we, we, he needs to come now. This is the slot. And I said, well, he's not going anywhere until he's made his will. And that's, that's, that's it. And I stuck it out for him. And um, he, the solicitor came and he made his will. And the guy went down to theater and he didn't make it out of ITU. So he knew what he was doing. And that was the, one of the best things I did in nursing, I think. That's compassion in action, Edmund. And would you be prepared to disclose your biggest mistake and what you learned from it? I'll tell you a big mistake. I don't know whether it was the biggest one. Uh, but I was working, this was working with a group, and uh, I'd, I'd known this group for a while, I think. And uh, what I did wrong was I took it on myself to speak for part of the group and in doing so i put another part of the group and probably just an individual under a lot of pressure and not only did i not help the person who was supposed to be uh, having their issue addressed the people that i thought i was representing they were totally ambushed by the fact that i'd done this and got really upset and they didn't like me either um and it was just a big lesson in just not speaking for other people if you don't have a mandate and just treading carefully and knowing the complexity of, of what can happen in a group and not taking on that um not taking on a mantle of leadership when you just don't have it now we're coming to some questions that i ask all my guests is there a person or experience that has inspired you on your journey i think the the most formative experience for me was my residential at Findhorn, the learning community up in Scotland. And 
there was two people there who ran a course on conflict and change, and there was Ben Fuchs and Andrew Murray. Um, and Andrew passed away a few years ago, and leaves a big hole in the, um, in the universe, really. But those two, yeah, they just really taught me about dealing with conflict in the moment and sticking with uncertainty and going, yeah, going towards conflict rather than than away from it. That journey, that journey in in Fintorn was, yeah, was uh, it changed quite a lot in me. Yeah. Is there a book, podcast, or video that you recommend to aspiring leaders? I would. Uh, recommend three bits for this morning, I think. Um, Ron Heifetz, The Practice of Adaptive Leadership. I think that's a great book. Arnold Mindell, Sitting in the Fire, is a book that I turn back to and get something something different from every time. And uh, Sheila Heen and Douglas Douglas Stone, Difficult Conversations. I think that I think when you if you read those three together, then you get quite a lot of that's quite a quite a package really well i've read ronald heifetz but not your other recommendations i'll definitely be going to look them up what does your self-care regime look like it's quite varied actually i look after my i think i look after my diet quite well and i had a health crisis i suppose about six seven years ago and i um and from I didn't have to, but I decided not to drink alcohol after that, and that's made a big difference in my life. And quite I quite like that. Um, but it's also m- mostly uh, when you ask me that question, I think, uh, what exercise do you do? Because I do a lot. I love uh, sailing. Sailing's my first love. I do dinghy sailing, and the windier the better, up to a certain point. Um, so you have to be fairly fit for dinghy sailing. I uh, discovered uh, the joys of diving off diving boards about six or seven years ago, and that is uh, very uh, exhilarating, scary, and uh, very exciting. And I use a rowing machine to keep me fit for those other two, and recently discovered running again, uh, having believed that my knees were past it. My knees are now better than ever, so there you go. And finally, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? I don't know. (laughs) I would say... Stick with it and let it let it unfold. That's that, that's it. Edmund, thanks for coming on the show today and sharing your wisdom and insight. And thanks for listening to the Compassionate Leadership interview. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can find me at patreon.com forward slash Chris Whitehead. Email me about the show chris at damflask-consulting.com. You can order Compassionate Leadership, the book, on Amazon. And this episode was recorded in Sheffield using Squadcast. And the music was brought to you by 96 Pack on CPU Records. <laughs>